So you got to keep in mind that we're, this is a review of, of the book of Acts. And so we've spent <clears throat> a pretty good significant amount of time uh, in Acts chapter 18 the first time around, which was over probably about a year ago. Um, so it's good to go through this. This is a real important um, chapter. We're gonna, we, we went through the first uh, part of the chapter last week. I know you guys weren't here last week. You were here last week, right, Aunt? You guys were here last week. Okay. And so <clears throat> basically Paul is now, fit at the first part of chapter 18, he's finishing his second missionary journey. He comes out from, um, <clears throat> he leaves Athens, you know, the Areopagus in chapter 17. And then he comes down to Corinth. And who remembers what, what happened to Paul in Corinth? What was the theme that we talked about last week? Does anyone remember? Come on, Rebecca. You usually smoke this stuff. Oh, still, you still would know it. Normally, you wouldn't even have to be here. That's good. You were with the kids at Sunday school? Uh, yeah, with Jonathan. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Kat. Yes, encouragement. Because who was Paul waiting for in Athens who never showed up? Anyone remember? Two of his buddies, right? He was waiting for Silas and Timothy. They were supposed to meet him in Athens, but he said, all right, I'm going to head down to Corinth. And as soon as he gets to Corinth, he finds a couple of very, um, uh, two people that are very, uh, have a lot of affinity with Paul. They're Jewish people, Aquila and um, Priscilla, and they are from Rome. And at that time in Rome, Claudius had just kicked out all the Jews. And so, so they were scattered everywhere. So Paul is, gets encouragement, number one, by going to this place by himself and then finding a couple of people that are also there sort of to, to, uh, to, to be there to encourage Paul. So they get together doing what? what? What did they? They start a business together. They start to tent make. And as he's tent making, um, he's in the synagogue reasoning and preaching each week. And so then encouragement number two is when Silas and Timothy come. Wait, what was encouragement one? Uh, encouragement one was Aquila and Priscilla. Oh. Yeah, so there were two, that was encouragement one. And we got to figure this is some time after. Then Timothy and Silas come down. And what do they enable Paul to be able to do? Which is really encouragement number three. Yeah. Devote himself completely to the word of God. And so after that, he was solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But like our relationship with the Lord, it's very rarely just even keel. You know, our life and our relationship with the Lord goes up and down, up and down. We have trials and tribulations, and then all of a sudden it seems like everything is just, you know, we're going to the Lord God, just everything just seems so good, and then... What's going on with, with Paul? He gets kicked out of the synagogue. And uh, he says, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And just so happens that the guy next door says, you could hold church at my house. <clears throat> Crispus, the leader of the synagogues, gets converted. And uh, lots of stuff are going on. And so the next thing happens to Paul. A lot of this is up and down. Maybe he's starting to doubt. What's the next encouragement? Who shows up on the scene to encourage him? Verse 9. Yeah, the Lord. Don't be afraid any longer, but go on speaking. Do not be silent. This is like really coolly, it always usually is very tied into the sermon because all the word could be tied in together. We're going to talk about encouragement today. But Jesus says, I'm with you. No man will attack you in order to harm you. You may get attacked verbally, but... You're not going to get physically harmed. And then so Paul gets even more encouraged and he settles there for another year and a half teaching the word of God. And then this guy, Gallio, who remembers who Gallio was? Anybody remember who Gallio was? Who, who was he like? We, we, we equated him with somebody else. Does anyone remember that? Pontius Pilate. Remember how Pontius Pilate was Rome's representative over Jerusalem? Well, Gallio was, was um, Pontius uh, Rome's um, overseer of Achaia, and, uh, or Achaia, 
however you want to say it. And it's a basically, a, if we had our, our map up, it's a pretty big region of Greece. Um, it's bigger than Jerusalem. And so remember what Pontius, like Pontius Pilate, especially Gallio, now all the Jews are dispersing from Rome. He doesn't want to have anything to do with, with the Jewish people because they, have a, they are a big wedge in their whole Roman system. They're not, they're, they actually have a pardon from Caesar that they don't have to bow down to him because the, the, the Romans know there'll just be war. So they made this provision for them having to obey all these other rules, but they don't have to do that. And so the Jews are in this weird compromise with Rome, and so they're always causing problems because of that. And so Gallio was like, I don't want anything to do with this. And so he just basically dismisses the matter. Um, the leader of the synagogue, his name is Sosthenes. He then, what, gets beat up in front of the synagogue leader. And what else did we find out about Sosthenes? Where do we read, for, where do we read about Sosthenes again? Does anyone remember that? Gab, I guess, the only one that was here last week. Right, and how do we tie that together to this? Yeah, he, well, we, we assume this Sostenine, when, when, when a letter is introduced by the writer and someone else, that typically means he's either there on, on behalf of him or he's writing the letter for him, means that they're very tight. And Sostenines, who happens to be writing a letter to the Corinthians with Paul, probably went along with Paul after this and was very connected with the church there. And so after this, Paul says uh, in verse 18, he's going to keep a vow. So he's going to head down to Ephesus. He couldn't stay there for a long time. I'm assuming because of the vow, he wanted to get back to Jerusalem, which we see that happening very quickly uh, in the text anyway. Verse 22, he lands at Caesarea. He goes up and greets the church. Up means Jerusalem and then goes down to Antioch, which is actually up. On the map, it's kind of under, it's weird to understand that, but that's like, <clears throat> you know, you always, like, we use the same thing here. We're going down to the city. Well, really, the city could be up, depending on where you're at, but it's always like going down, like almost like a, a downtown, uptown sort of thing. And so he spends some time there. He leaves. He passes through the Galatian region and Phrygia. This is the third missionary journey, strengthening all the disciples. So he starts his missionary journey in around A.D. 54. And this whole, uh, you know, verse 23 is about 1,500 miles, by the way. They sort of give a big, Luke gives us a big summary here. Um, but, But now we get into a passage where I think is super important for us to understand uh, as Christians. Um, I think... If, if, if we had to criticize ourselves as believers, I think the one thing that I would criticize myself for more than anything is trusting the Lord. You know, like on the big, broad side of things, I could say, well, I, I trust the Lord. You know, I, I trust the Lord for my salvation. I'm trusting the Lord for, you know, this person's uh, situation. I'm trusting the Lord here. But when it comes to... Um, uh, following the example of Christ and being and, and the example of the New Testament church and being on the offensive, and I don't mean being offensive, I mean being an, on the offensive for Christ, going out deliberately to shed his love out to the people we meet and verbally speak to the people we meet. I think that's where we lack a lot as, as, the, you know, as a church, um, not even as as a, I'm not saying that our local church necessarily. I'm just saying as the Christian church, I think that would be one of our weaknesses. Um, and I think one of the reasons why it's that it's not because we're uh, just not picking ourselves up and getting out there and doing the work we have to do. Like, come on, people, let's get out there and let's knock on doors. And, let, and all that stuff's great. But we all know that we can act really well, right? We can go and act like Christians. We can go and prop up programs and have outreaches and do all this stuff. 
But without the power of God behind it, it really isn't going to matter too much. It's not going to be as effective and it's not going to seem as if we're trusting the Lord. It's going to be a labor. And so I think one of the things to, to peel back the onion a little bit more is one of the things that I think we lack trust in is trusting in God's power to work and initiate this, this offense in our life. And that works by one way and one way only, and that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, Jesus is localized right now in heaven. But the Holy Spirit, Jesus' Holy Spirit, is everywhere. And it's dwelling in us. And, there's, and the Holy Spirit is as, as, is as complicated and as dense of a, a, a character, a, a person as Jesus, as the Father. The Holy Spirit is a, is a person. It's an individual personality. It's the third person of the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit works in many different ways. It's not some smoke that goes around and when it comes by us, it just sort of takes captive of us and we become in the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit has direct, has a direct mission. What's his mission? What's the Holy? I know we have a big, we could say a lot of different things, but in general, what would you say the Holy Spirit's mission is? What do you think the Holy Spirit wants to do? What's the Holy Spirit's job? To empower. He's the advocate, right? He's the advocate, yep. The helper, the comforter. To do what? Oh, to, to, to empower us, to help, to advocate us to do, to build for the kingdom. And how do we build for the kingdom? We, we, glorify, we glorify the Lord. We point people to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit's soul, if we had to put one banner over everything, the Holy Spirit empowers us. He's an advocate. He's a comforter. He's the helper. He's the, the third person of the Trinity. But his specific ministry is to point people to Jesus Christ. And so for us as a church, we have to trust that in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, I don't, and I'm not trying to, and I always sort of uh, lay this out first, is this isn't some big push for a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Although I'm not opposed to that, but that's not what we're trying to crank up. It's not what it is. It's God moving according to God's will through God's chosen instrument, the Holy Spirit, to go and to empower us to do the work of the kingdom, which is to point people to Christ. And so this next passage here gives us some really cool insight into how really how important it was to the early church. And so some of the questions will be is, well, is this just for the early church? You know, we've, we've talked a lot about this in the past, but it's always good to, to really review this was, this gift of the Holy Spirit just for the early church? Is this gift of the Holy Spirit just an indwelling Holy Spirit in us when we believe? Or is there something more? Um, it, are the gifts of the Holy Spirit only manifestations that we could physically see? Are they just supernatural? There's all these different questions that we can ask about the Holy Spirit. And all of them would be pertinent, uh, important, great studies to have. But we have to remember what we're specifically talking about here in the context of the book of Acts is, is going out and building, building out the church. God putting his people out there and their pop, their, their people are getting saved. They're hitting confrontation everywhere. And so there's no better person to bring on the scene than the Holy Spirit for that additional power that they need to do the work of the ministry of pointing people to Christ. So this is about an additional power that God is happy to give us, according to the scripture, but only comes on, on God's terms. And this is where I believe a lot of times the modern church gets this a little wrong and we start to go overboard with the, with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or we start to impose different you know, expectations on the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit will only move if you, know, you have enough faith, if you, know, 
you practice how to speak in tongues enough, then the Holy Spirit will go, yeah, you're good enough now. All right, I'm coming. No, that's not what I'm talking about. We notice that one unique thing from the book of Acts, from the very beginning of chapter one, all the way to where we're at now, what do do we notice about how God dispenses the gift of the Holy Spirit in this way? What's the unique thing about it? Does anybody remember? It's always in different ways. It's never one way that he does it. In other words, it's not always, okay, the Holy Spirit fell, they're speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit came, the building is shaking. The Holy Spirit came, somebody is healed. The Holy Spirit came, somebody got saved. It's all different. It's never one thing, which makes us see that it's not about us, it's about Christ. And so to go to the text here, we see and we contrast how important this is with a man who, is a, who, is, who is a, has a resume that I would die for at the end of my life to be remembered as a guy like Apollos. Listen, he's in verse 24. A Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, so he was a Hellenistic Jew. <clears throat> he was an eloquent man. He was eloquent. What does that mean? He talked good. He talked good. He talked well. <laughs> you liked listening to him, Okay. And that's important, right? You don't want to sit and listen to somebody. I've, I've, I've been there where I couldn't stand listening to a certain person yet. What he was saying was true and what he was saying was right, but it's just, it was not eloquent. And so that's difficult. He was an eloquent man and he came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures. So he spoke well and mighty in the scriptures could mean what? He knew the scriptures. He probably had them by, known by heart. Somebody came up with him, came up to him and refuted him. He was mighty in the scriptures. He was quick to be able to give an apologetic. He was quick to be able to overcome objections. And he, this man, verse 25, it keeps going on. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, right? He was a seminary guy probably. And being fervent in the spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. But Luke is putting him in here for this reason. He's being acquainted only, though, with the baptism of John. And so he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And so the implication here, if this was just alone and by itself, where he was doing uh, all these mighty works of God, he was waxing eloquent in his speech, he had been instructed, he was fervent in spirit, teaching accurately, doing all this stuff, and then he began boldly to speak out in the synagogues, But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they put him aside and explained him the way of God more accurately. I left one verse out there, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. If that wasn't there, we would would assume that Priscilla and Aquila were refuting him or encouraging him because he was speaking out boldly. I have to show you how to do this more accurately. You're being bold, but you're being a little too bold. You're being a little too offensive. That's... The only other option here, we know that that's not the case because we see speaking boldly as a good thing. So they're talking about the baptism of John. The fact that he was only baptized with John by the baptism of John showed Priscilla and Aquila by hearing him. It says it here. They heard him. They took him aside, explained the way of God more accurately. What are we talking about? What's the way more accurately? What's this have to do with the baptism of John? And, he, and he, when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he had greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. You see, now we have a, a, an Apollos who is powerfully speaking. Okay, so there's a difference here after being taught the way of God more accurately, after being corrected that the baptism of John, it was not enough for him. He was missing out on something else. And what was that? Not 
No, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Izzy. What's your uh, question? Um, uh, I heard a speaker say once, it doesn't sound right to me, but he said that like a possibility of the misunderstanding could be that John was the Messiah because there was that misconception at the time. Do you think that for him specifically that's not the case because they, they didn't say he was saying anything wrong, right? So that would yeah. match up. But I heard a speaker say that could be a possibility, but like to me that didn't make a lot of sense or else they would say like, yeah. saying the wrong person is the Messiah, right? Right. Well, the, he is correct in that people did think John was the Messiah. But that, but, and, and that was only when he was first baptizing. But immediately after he first baptized, he told everybody, I am not the one, but there is one who's going to come whose sandals I am not even worthy to tie. I'm baptizing with water. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so... <clears throat> It, the key to answering your question is understanding what the baptism of, of John is. The baptism of John is, <clears throat> is a baptism of repentance. See, let's, let's go real quick to, to, to 19, because I want to go to the first seven verses. And it says, now, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. So now Paul is coming into Ephesus <clears throat> right after... Apollos was there, okay? And he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He's not talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because we already know from scripture that there is no question that when a person in order for even a person to know Christ, he has to be in, indwelt by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has to make him alive, has to make him born again, has to open his eyes. So he's not talking about that. He's talking about being baptized in the Spirit with power because he's in Ephesus now. He's planting churches. He's looking for leaders. He's looking for people that are going to help him and come under him. He's looking to do damage here. He wants to be uh, bring Christ into every uh, crack and corner of the world. So he is on fire, and he wants to recruit people. He wants to make sure these people are equipped. And they said they were only baptized into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was to come after him, that is Jesus. So <clears throat> to go back to Izzy's <clears throat> really good question is, is, you know, what is this baptism of repentance? And because uh, it can mean, it can be a little confusing because what are we thinking of? We're thinking of a baptism of repentance meaning I'm turning from my sins and believing in God, but I'm supposed to turn from my sins and believe in John, All right? Or why is John getting me to repent of my sins? And then now I have to also go to Jesus and ask him to forgive me. So the key, again, is to understand what is the baptism of repentance, right? And who was giving it? First of all, it was John the Baptist who was the type of who to come. Uh, the what? Elijah the, Elijah the prophet. And we see twice in the Old Testament, we see in the book of Malachi, and we also see in the book of Isaiah, that God is going to send his messenger, who is going to do what? Prepare the way of the Lord. Okay? Everybody follow me that? So John's baptism of repentance was to what group, what nation? Israel, it was only to the people of Israel, the baptism of John. So there was a point in history there where there was confusion on, like, do we keep baptizing people with the baptism of John? Because, oh, you're an Israelite? Okay, so you have to first be baptized, you know, with a baptism of repentance from John, which is simply preparing the way and opening your eyes, saying the Messiah is about to be on the scene. The kingdom is about to come. So you need to prepare your hearts for this. Prepare your heart for him. And so that baptism was them saying, yes, we're, we're ready for this Messiah. So this started to 
this tradition started to move around in the early church where people were getting baptized with, in the name of, you know, for repentance by John's baptism. And then they would also be baptized in the name of Christ, as we see the Ethiopian eunuch. And don't get confused about the name of Jesus versus the triune baptism. It's, it's all the same thing as, as we're talking here. There's no difference there at all. <clears throat> so this baptism of John was being sort of still worked out at this time. But Paul and Luke, obviously, are very concerned about us knowing that it's important that there's this additional power that is to come upon us at certain points according to God's will, beyond just the power that we get uh, in terms of having the Holy Spirit in us, the power to be sanctified, the power to have discernment, the the power to have spiritual gifts, the gift of teaching, the gift of helps, the gift of administration, all those spiritual gifts, different, different. Power of baptism of the Holy Spirit is, um, you know, you're sharing the gospel with someone and um, all of a sudden the person is asking you questions like you've never heard before from someone that's ever going to share the gospel. Like right now in India, Mohan told me on Tuesday that there's been, in the last two months, He's seen more um, people come to the Lord than he has ever seen in his whole entire ministry. And Mohan is not, you know, getting people to say sinners prayers. These are people that are giving their life to the Lord. They're like, I want to be baptized. I'm telling I'm getting cut off from my family. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself at risk for persecution, for arrest and all this. And so he said that the that Pat, the. We're going into villages and leaving tracks and people are calling us and saying, hey, could you come and tell us more about Jesus? We read your track. And he's going and there's families, four or five families getting together, meeting. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit happening. That's the Holy Spirit moving down onto people's hearts. Mohan, you know, speaking to them could be, uh, you know, talking to them. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're saying, hey, I want to I want to believe in this Jesus. You know, that could be the baptism of the Holy Spirit there. You could be baptized in the spirit without knowing it. But I think if you think back to it, you will feel and see that there are some biblical uh, manifestations of it, meaning usually the baptism of the spirit manifests itself in some physical way. Um, what I mean is, is something happens as a result of it. Something happens, somebody gets saved or somebody begins to uh, uh, be broken in repentance. Okay, so there's a lot there when it, when, it, when it comes down to it. But God wants us not to try to make it happen because we can't do that. But what he does want us to do is to seek it. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Um, first, before, you know, I get to that, you know, as we see, as if you've been following along here in the book of Acts, this is not the first time that people that have believed have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is not the first time that, um, Paul and, and, and some of the uh, disciples Although Paul isn't filled with the Holy Spirit, well, I guess he is filled here because he lays hands on them. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and they begin speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men. And so they manifested through prophesying and through getting, getting tongues. But when you see throughout the scriptures, it's not always like that. It's different almost every single time. <clears throat> but people, the, but the Bible says that this is, can be repeated. In Acts 4, 7, Paul, I'm sorry, Peter was filled with the Spirit. This is right after he was filled in Acts 2. <clears throat> he had a fresh anointing power. Uh, when they placed him in the center, they began to inquire. This was the man, he, he healed the lame man. He said, by what power or what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers and elders, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene whom you crucified, 
whom God raised from the dead. By this name, this man stands before you in good health. And then after this, they all go back to the upper room. Remember, and at the end of Acts 4, when they all had prayed, the place, had been, the, the, the place that they were being gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. This is a multiple, repeated action by God that has come upon these people so that people can be saved and so that people would be able to move. Notice, I mean, think about Peter in Acts chapter 2. Making this, doing this preaching. Think of Peter in Acts chapter 4. Rulers and elders of the people, you crucified Jesus, you know, by the name and the power of Jesus Christ, whom you've crucified, this man stands before you whole. Think of Peter just a couple of weeks before. What was he doing? What was he doing? He was denying Jesus. He was hiding. Mm. Yep, yep, he went fishing for fish, which is what we're going to talk about today in John 21. But now, the Holy Spirit comes upon him in Acts chapter 2, and then again in Acts chapter 4, and there's no stopping this guy. So the, 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 the Spirit comes upon us when we need to preach the gospel, and we need to trust the Lord for that. We don't trust the Lord to show me a sign. I don't want a sign, Lord. I want your spirit upon me. I ask, I, sh- I shouldn't say it so, so boldly like that because it sounds a little off, but Lord, I, I beg you to put your spirit upon me so that these, that these people will hear from you today and not me. And, uh, and, and people, you have no idea. You're talking, you're, you know, even right now, I'm just ch- chatting with you guys. But the Holy Spirit can move even now, like on your heart. And you're something maybe that I'm not even really talking about, but the word from the Lord does has come to you. And, you know, it, he just, it, he overwhelms you or he overwhelms you with love for somebody that you just shouldn't have love for. Or he overwhelms you with a burden. There's so many different ways. <clears throat> we see that in Acts chapter six and seven, that even, uh, um, and I don't say even, but people that even weren't called to be teachers, like Stephen, who was called to be a deacon, was required to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and so we see it over and over and over. There's no one model. We see, and I just jotted it down a couple t- different things in Acts 2, a noise from heaven, a rushing wind, speaking in other languages. Acts 8, it was just the laying on of hands, no tongues. Acts 9, <clears throat> the spirit was imparted by a, uh, by a nobody, Ananias. He just showed up in one couple verses. We've never heard from him again. I shouldn't say a nobody, but just an average Christian guy. <clears throat> Paul, he lays hands, they speak in tongues, they prophesies, no, uh, prophesied. There's no two uh, uh, experiences that are exactly alike. So, here are some of the evidences. Apollos gained power, and he became, in verse 27, he became a great helper and encouraged the brethren. The brethren. Uh, noticed uh, he, he saw that there was something with these 12 men in 197 that was missing. He noticed some sort of defect either in the way that they believed or something, I don't know, but he asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? And uh, they didn't. And so he laid hands on him and, and, and it was in a different way as well. <clears throat> uh, I noticed here in Ephesians 8, it's uh, 5, 18 to 20, it says, don't get drunk with wine in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the spirit will be manifested in our speaking, in our singing. We make melody in our hearts to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord. These are supernatural things that God gives us the ability to do. 
And so, what do we do about this? You know, what do we, how do we, how do we act, you know, because of this? I mean, we're, we're looking 2,000 years from, uh, you know, in the future uh, from the book of Acts, let's say roughly. <clears throat> we're learning about how God started his church. We're, we're seeing amazing things. We have a couple choices. We could say, oh, you know, that's just not for me. You know, I'm so busy in my life right now. Like, I, I don't understand how God's going to use me in this sort of way or baptize me in the Holy Spirit. We could also say, ah, this is, this is just for the apostles. You know, they had a lot more uh, tribulation and trials and people didn't really believe. So they needed to do like extraordinary things. So it's really not for me. Or, like I said from the very beginning, we can trust the Lord and know and be ready and be willing vessels and start to seek him and call him out on his promises, especially in Luke where he says, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? After he used an analogy of a father uh, giving his son a stone instead of a fish, his father would never do that if he asked for a fish. He would never give him a serpent instead of a, a, a fish, or I'd never give him a scorpion instead of bread. How much more will he give to you being evil? That's what it says. The Holy Spirit. God, you promised you'd help me. You promised you would empower me. See, the Holy Spirit isn't just for super Christians. I'm a super Christian, Lord. I'm in ministry now. I'm doing all this crazy stuff for you. Empower me. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Fill this place. Right? No. Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, is for any person that believes in Jesus Christ, whether their faith is as small as a mustard seed or is big enough to move mountains. The Holy Spirit is for struggling Christians. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for, is for Christians that need to overcome sin in their life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for Christians that are, um, want to be used by God, but they just don't know where and how and what their gifts are. Ask him. And then when you, when you need it, he'll give you the Holy Spirit. He will empower you. You will have moments you will know you will have an ability for that Holy Spirit not only to be in you, not only to be guiding you and walking you and, 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 and giving you the good, you know, the good uh, conscience sense and going, this is wrong, this is right, but the Holy Spirit also wants to use you in a way where it's going to require more than you have. And he doesn't want you taking credit for it. So be open and be ready you know, we want on the bigger picture, we want the whole entire church wholesale to be open and ready for the Holy Spirit. We want, we want the Holy Spirit to move over to, in big ways, like in the people that are getting persecuted. We want the Holy Spirit to move in big ways like the people in Ukraine right now that, that are, you know, getting bombed and that they're going through the worst persecution in uh, the worst, I shouldn't say persecution, really, just uh, just worst tribulation. Their, their houses, their life, their way of life, everything is gone. And there, there are believers there that God is, is coming down upon and using in that situation. We want revival. The revivals that have happened in the past have always happened with a move of the Spirit, and most of the time it starts with the most insignificant people. In the smallest little tiniest churches that are falling apart. Not like our church is really falling apart, but we can make it fall apart if that's going to help. Start mashing things up. 
So we have to be individually trusting God, but as a church too, we have to, we have to pray as a church for, this, for, for God to use us and to move and to have his way and to let God know we're not holding you back from anything, Lord. Whatever you want to do. When the Holy Spirit moves, he moves. He's not, uh, it's not mistaken. <laughs> you know, it's, he moves. People get saved. People get, people come in. I mean, people uh, change. People, things radically happen. And that's what we want. But let's expect it. Let's not put God in the box. Let's be like Paul and be like, hey, did you, did you, you know, he's, he's not just walking through Ephesus the second time and being like, hey guys, everything's good. He's going, no, is everybody being maximally used the way that they should be maximally used? Are you expecting the right things from God? That's what he's asking. So that's all. And that's really pretty much all I have to say on that. We got some more, a few minutes. Does anyone have any questions? Paulina? Yeah. Um, Can the Holy Spirit move you or be upon you before you are saved? Because like like now that I look back on my past and I look at the moments where it was, now I know was the Lord drawing me near to him or, um, yeah, situations like that. Like I didn't know any Christians. I didn't know about even relationship with God. Yeah. I just, now, when I look at, when I look back, I know it was the Lord, but was that, was that the Holy Spirit, like, moving me? Okay, I want you just to read the Bible. It was just so random. Yeah. Because, you know? Because I know it was not on my own. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. And um, one of the the things that I explain ad nauseum to everyone (laughs) is that the Holy Spirit and, and this has been before you, you came here because we went through a lot of this. So this is good that you asked this because I don't want to assume anything. But the Holy Spirit in the scriptures has three different ways that he works with people. And like Jesus said, he'll be the, he'll be the helper, the comforter, mm-hmm. which is the, the paracletus, which is para with, with the help. He's going to come alongside of you. Mm-hmm. And so there is an aspect of the Holy Spirit that comes alongside of us. Mm-hmm when we're not a believer even, mm-hmm. and moves us to Christ. But then when we become a believer, the word is that the Holy Spirit will be with you and then he'll be in you, and Jesus says. Yeah, so when you get converted, he's in you. When you're unconverted, he's with you, guiding you and pointing you to Christ. Mm-hmm. And, but what we're talking about here is when he comes upon you. <clears throat> See, he says, <clears throat> I know I, I have it here. <clears throat> and it will come John 14 I thought that's the with and in uh, oh it's because I'm on the wrong page says page one to go to page two okay so acts one Jesus said um <clears throat> gathering them together he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for what the father has promised he says, which he said, you've heard from me, John baptized with water, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's not coming with you now anymore, although I promised he would be with you. He's not in you here, although I promised he would be in you, but he's going to come upon you. The word in the Greek is epi, E-P-I, instead of in, E-N, or with, P-A-R-A, He's epi, he's on you. And that's throughout the act, the Holy Spirit coming upon. So what we talked about today is upon that power. Okay, what we talk about most of the time through the scriptures in context, like Jesus said, don't get discouraged. I'm going to send you a helper that will be with you and he'll be in you. So, yeah. Father fill us with the Holy Spirit, but when we have already the Holy Spirit within us, do we pray to have the Spirit upon us at a specific time? Yeah. Because it's like, I remember Joey Rose was talking about it in one ceremony. He was like, we have the Spirit within us, but we have to activate it. Like, he kind of put it that way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know, I know what he's saying, but what, so, so what happens is, is to
is used interchangeably in the book of Acts. But there is a tech, there is a concept of being filled with the Spirit without the Spirit coming upon you. And that just simply means, and what Joey means about, what Pastor Joey means about activating it, is he's meaning don't quench it, and he's meaning don't grieve it. Because by not doing that, then we become filled up with the Spirit. And, and also a way to activate it is through our faith, through trust, right? Like through, through trust, like I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit's in me and I'm going to speak out and say this to this person and share the gospel with them. And so, but I do think it's okay to pray to be filled. I think it's okay to be prayed for the Lord to come upon, come up, to come up to anoint us and to come upon us. I think it's all, all fine and dandy to use all those different words. Um, and that's yeah. why I would sometimes get confused like, when praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because then I would be conflicted with, I have a Holy Spirit. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's, it, it does a lot of people too. Well, that's a very big Presbyterian thing. Because um, uh, Chris and I come from that background. You, know, you won't hear that in the church, in the Presbyterian church necessarily, most of them anyway to be filled because why are you praying that you already have the Holy Spirit as much as you're going to have it right. now go sit down and get your coffee <laughs> try not to move, try not to move. <laughs> <laughs> you may get flagged raising your hand you're like what get that hand down yeah is there a revival going on here um, yeah so <clears throat> I, but, but, I, but I think that there is biblical uh application for both being filled with the spirit asking God to fill me like right now when I pray for the service I'm going to say Lord fill me with your spirit and what I really mean is is I want him to come upon me fully and take over if there's anything in me Lord that's causing me not to be who you need me to be that vessel then get rid of it and fill me with your spirit Um, and then Lord you know come upon me when I'm preaching this really hard aspect of the sermon and let the spirit really do its work. So that way people understand it and I understand it and whatever, or come upon me, you know, like if we're out on the street evangelizing, we'll ask for the spirit to come upon us and, you know, maybe get a little bit more radical, you know, little, we want, we really want you to come now, God, come Lord Jesus. You know, we say it loud and then he's really going to come, you know, (laughs) Verbiage. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, if we just say, Lord, help me. Right. And, like, I, I'm gonna go, about to go into this client who's abortion-minded, and it just that yeah. terrifies me all the time. You may not say anything, and he may come upon oh, you right, in a, exactly. an amazing way. When we pray with, any, with the client advocate, any one of us is going to go, and we'll just pray for help and yeah. words to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, so we don't have to... We don't have to overthink whether we're asking him to fill us, be in us, upon us, or anything. Yeah. The words, please help, <laughs> or nothing at all. Exactly. Like, you know? Let's not, and that's the great, I'm glad you said that, Claudia, because it's not necessarily about getting the right phraseology down, because God's like, oh, man, if you had only said anoint, <laughs> but you said fill, so this is all I can do, buddy. <laughs> you know, that's, not, that's what we think of God being sort of like, you know, sorry. Wrong verbiage. I guess the point of the image of the spirit that's kind of dangerous is when they do that, it's like weird. Like people act like the spirit being upon you is like you acting like you're on something. Like it's like really weird. Like, but the the spirit's supposed to do the opposite. Like it's order. It's supposed to bring more order to in worship. Not make you act crazy. Like that's yeah. Not, yeah. Know, like feeling more of his fullness and his glory. It's like it, it should be more clear, not you acting like. Well, you know, yeah. The <laughs> There's been times where you know in revivals that I believe were authentic revivals that some strange things have happened, but ninety percent of the time when the spirit falls upon a church, people are on their face like crying. Mm-hmm. They're on their face, mm-hmm. frozen in 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 re- conviction. Of the presence of God. And it's just like they can't move. Like if you look at some of the great revivals of the past, like in the Welsh revivals, and you know, there's just they're they're coming to church for like a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, 
and they don't leave for two weeks. <laughs> you know, like not everyone there for two weeks, but like there's people that stay for 10 hours and go, go to work and come back that night and stay. And it's just like, what's going on? It's happened in colleges like that too. Like a college revival, you know, someone will just come to, to the altar and say something and, and then everyone starts to come forward and then, then it breaks out into other things. So that's just the way God does it. But you're right. It should always be order and it should always be bringing people, focusing on Jesus, not on. So we had to be real careful because Satan can do the same thing. What's that? People try to match it with emotion. Mm-hmm. And then when you go on retreats and stuff, like we've all experienced it, uh, like youth group retreats where they like dim the lights and they like, do a particularly like song, song that everyone loves and mm-hmm. they do it and it's like they're trying to make you cry and fill you with these like really intense mm-hmm. emotions and then that's supposed to cause a revival but I don't think making people feel sad or think about their circumstances is like it's like a forced I feel conviction yeah because like they're trying to make you have all these emotions well up inside you but I think that's why people feel so not everyone, because people still come to Christ at things like mm-hmm. that, but just a lot of people come out feeling empty because it's like, why did I feel it so much then and not now? Mm-hmm. Because life, you don't live with this like background music that's emotional and the dim light. <laughs> right. Like, your life isn't like that. It needs to be real and applicable in real life. So true. After. And I think sometimes that's what people associate like the spirit with, is having all these I know, and that's great. And and what is he saying is great. There's a there's a very big difference of getting emotional because of a message being preached or something God puts on your heart during worship, versus the church leader trying to get you emotional. That's what I disagree with. Don't get me. You don't. I don't need. I don't want that. I wouldn't want to do that to you. I wouldn't want to tell you a little puppy dog story at the very end of my sermon to get you all, you know, emotional and me then try to tell you you need to come up and say this prayer or you need to do this certain thing or, you know, to get you to act. I would feel scared before the Lord to do that. I want just the opposite. You know, you don't know why. They're just, the the word of God is doing it. And let, if you get emotional because of the word of God, great. But if you get emotional... Because Jerry's playing some really slow guitar song with his Patriot belt on. And you're, you're feeling so bad for him because he likes the Patriots. That's not the type of emotion that you want to get. So anyway, very good, guys. So um, I would take more questions, but we're, we're, we're closing in here on, on some time. And I know you need to do some lyric stuff, right, Rand? With Jerry. Okay. All right. So let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Chris, would you like to? Are you, are you up to it? Yeah. Okay, you're through? Okay. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, that you are the great provider. Lord, we thank you for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that uh, you are always with us, Lord, that you provide all of our needs, Lord. We do pray that we would seek you out this morning, Lord, that we would seek to uh, glorify uh, Christ throughout our entire service, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Chris.